0: My name is Tim Power. I'm the pastor of Modern Worship here, and I want to thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, Before we get started, would you pray with me? Lord God, what an amazing life it is to live in you. What an amazing thing it is to know you and to be known by you and to make your love known to others. I pray that you would just be with us in this time where we open up your word together. I pray that you would be with me, but also get me out of the way, God. Get me out of your way so that your word could be shared, so that um, your message of hope can come through. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just be working on every heart here, including my own, so that we might be transformed by the power of your word. We thank you for who you are, God. And we just pray, Lord God, that we might be more like you, be more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So we are in a sermon series through uh, Lent that's called uh, Overcoming. And we're talking about things that we need to overcome in our lives. And the great thing, and here's one of the amazing things about being a follower of Jesus. Um, When we talk about who Jesus is and what he has done, an amazing thing about Jesus that I don't think is true about any other religion in the world, any other deity that could be worshipped and followed, is that Jesus has actually gone through so much of what we've gone through in life, or that what we go through in life. So when you talk about a lot of other religions, they, they worship gods that are transcendent. That means they're far away, and and so... so in, You know, we believe that God the Father is a transcendent God. But when we talk about this person of God in Jesus Christ... It's, we, we believe in this thing called the incarnation, which is that Jesus came to earth and lived the same kind of lives that we live. And so in this sermon series, we're talking about all the things that Jesus overcame in his life, and we're using that as a model of how we can overcome things in our own lives. So we talked about how we can overcome indifference the first week, and then last week we talked about how we can overcome temptation. And today we're going to be talking about how to overcome this word rejection. I want you to take a minute right now and think back to some time. I'm trying to think about like the earliest time you can think in your life of when you were rejected. Maybe it was being picked last on the kickball team. Go back in your mind and think about that first time maybe where you felt rejected. It's a painful memory, isn't it? Whatever it is, I'm sure it's a painful memory. Um, when when I first thought of it, and maybe because it was one of the most painful memories, I went back to. I didn't go back as far as I probably could have, but I thought back to when I was when I was about 15, and I uh, had had my first serious interest in a girl. And uh, our our groups of friends were hanging out one day. We went to a an art fair, and I was just so excited to be able to spend some time with this girl. Uh, and uh, you know, we had kind of um, I followed her around the whole day, and then we we were kind of on our own. I, I was following her, and she was looking at some different art displays and things like that, and I thought, this is great. We're finally getting to spend just some me and her time. This is awesome. And I'm just following behind her as she's going along. She stops. She turns around, and she says, Tim, stop following me. And she did not raise a hand to me. She did not make contact, but it was a punch in the gut. It was painful. That really, really hurt in an almost physical way. Tim, stop following me. Oh man, that is such a hard thing to go through. I was talking to my my son, though, the other day, my, my nine-year-old, and and he he told me something um, that I thought was interesting. He said, Dad, you know what they you know what you know, some of the kids of school call me? I said, what? And he said, nerd. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm so sorry, buddy. I'm so sorry. that. And he goes, no, no, Dad, Dad, I think it's cool. <laughs> I think it's cool to be a nerd. Now, he did something at the age of nine that I'm still working on right now in my life, which is he actually took this thing called rejection that can be so hard, that can be so painful, and he turned it into a blessing right? He turned that into something that was actually a value, something he could actually lay hold of as, yeah, yeah, I'm a nerd. I like that. It's kind of an amazing thing to be able to do. Now, when I was Starting to study a little bit about this rejection thing, I I was just looking up different articles and things about rejection. I found a really interesting article in Psychology Today. It It was interesting facts about rejection. Now, there were quite a few of them, but I just picked out a couple that I thought were really interesting, specifically about the science behind this pain we feel in rejection. Here's a really interesting thing. Rejection, they found, piggybacks on the physical pain pathways in the brain. The physical, remember when I said that when she said, stop following me, it was like a punch in the gut. It really felt like a punch in the gut because rejection piggybacks on those same neural pathways that that we feel pain. Now, related to that, did you know that if you take Tylenol, it can relieve some of the pain of rejection? Some of the same psychological pains, because it's the same neuropathways, so you actually can relieve some of the pain of rejection by taking Tylenol. Here's, Here's another really interesting idea. Rejection temporarily lowers your IQ. It temporarily lowers your IQ when you feel the pain of rejection. That means you don't just get sad, you get stupid sad when you feel rejected. Here's another interesting thing is that rejection does not respond to reason. Rejection doesn't respond to reason. They did a study where they basically had actors who would reject people in, in, a, in a lab setting. Okay? They, would, they would say things that would, be, that would you know, elicit that response pain of rejection. And here's the strange thing. They could, they could even tell the people that were in the study, you're about to get rejected by an actor. And it still wouldn't make a difference. The person still felt the same pain. They would sometimes even tell the people, you're about to get rejected by somebody who's a member of the KKK. So they tried to say, like, this person is part of a group that you would totally not care about their opinion. And yet, it still elicited the same pain response in those people. It does not even respond to what we to our reason, our sense of reason. Doesn't that mean something? That means rejection is a very, very powerful thing to us. It's a very, very powerful thing in how our mind and even our body responds to it. Well, like I said earlier, we actually are not alone in our feeling of rejection. In fact, our Savior, Jesus, felt rejection on the earth in the same way that, that we feel it. And maybe um, I, I would venture to say in a much deeper way than we've ever even experienced it in our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of Scripture. I've got a real Bible. I'm going old school today, guys. So um, I'm going to turn right now to a passage in the book of Luke. Luke. And what I want to read, this is actually a continuation. Last week when we talked about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, we were in Luke chapter 4. So I'm going to read, uh, continue, basically right after Jesus was tempted by the devil and he overcame temptation. Now we're going to see what kind of what kind of trouble he gets into. Now, this is when Jesus actually is starting his earthly ministry. Okay, I'm going to read starting in uh, chapter 4 of Luke, verse 14. And try to stick with me. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage. Jesus returned... In the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, and to recover and, to, and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus, so impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me, doctor, heal yourself. Do you uh, do, here, uh, do here in your hometown what, you, what we've heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, I assure you, no prophet is welcome in the, home, in, the, uh, in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There was also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elijah, but Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, uh, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which, uh, on which their town had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff. It's not going well, guys. But he passed through the crowd and went on his way. Okay, so this is Jesus' launch day. This is, this is the celebration Sunday of his first day with his ministry. How did it go? I would, I would venture to say that Jesus' ministry launch did not go all that great. Really interesting. Jesus comes in, and, and I just want to set it up. Why, why did they get so angry? He basically came up and he read from the book of Elisha, which, which foretells of a Messiah, and he basically said, That's me. I'm the guy that they're talking about in this. And you know what the people say? Isn't this Joseph's son? It's one of those experiences, right, where, where have you ever had that situation where, where you're, you're around the people that you grew up with and yet they treat you like you're a little kid still? You've grown up, you've accomplished a lot, but then you come back to your hometown and then the people still treat you like you're a little kid. That's exactly what they're doing to Jesus. They're saying, what are you talking about? You're just Joseph's son. They're rejecting Jesus. And not only are they rejecting him, when, when he basically says that, I think that's a great line. A prophet is without honor in his own hometown. He's basically saying that nobody's going to respect me because I grew up here. It's hard. It's hard. And he experiences this powerful, powerful rejection from the people that, that should be accepting him. Now, um, this is talked about, again, even by, the, uh, by Peter the Apostle. Um, he's talking to a, a, a church that has experienced a lot of persecution in 1 in Peter, and this is what he says. I think this is so fascinating. In ch- chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Now you are coming to him, to him, Jesus, you are coming to him as to a living stone, even though this stone was rejected by humans, and we just saw that, right? Jesus being rejected by people. From God's perspective is chosen and valuable. You yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You are being made into a holy, holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thus it is written in Scripture, look, I am laying up a cornerstone in Zion, chosen and valuable. The person who believes in him will never be ashamed. But listen to this. This is, this is so key. So God honors you who believe. For those who refuse to believe, though the, builder, though the stone the builders tossed aside has become the capstone. This is a stone that makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall. See what they just said? The stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone. And I just want you to think for a second. I wonder in your life, what rejections in your life does God want to build your future on? What rejections that you've experienced in your life are the things that God wants to use to build your life on? Because sometimes rejection, and this is really hard to get because we think of rejection as so negative, and it can be. Rejection can be the birthplace of redemption. Rejection can be the birthplace of redemption. I saw a TED Talk one time, and there was about this guy who, when he was really young, um, and he grew up in China, he had so much rejection from the other kids in school um, that, that he was just crippled by fear. He, he couldn't get up in front of people and talk. He just hated that. However, he also had big dreams to be an entrepreneur. He actually wanted to become the next Bill Gates. He went to see Bill Gates speak in China one time. But He got all the way to his 30s, real bright guy, really got a great education, um, came to the United States, and could not somehow break through in business. He would try to actually start companies. One thing he found was his biggest problem is when he met with an investor, you know, you got to get a lot of investment to get a company off the ground. What he would do is he would just be crippled with fear when he would meet with investors because he was so afraid of rejection, the same kind of rejection that he had when he was a kid. So what he did was he started a blog and he started he what he wanted to do was do 100 days of rejection. Now I'm sure I'm describing some of your dating lives in high school right now. 100 days of rejection where he would try to put himself in a situation where he would get rejected. 100 days over and over and over again, and he wanted to see what could he learn from getting rejected over and over and over every single day. So he he actually videoed himself doing this. So the first day, what he did was he went to work, and there was a security guard, and the first challenge was this. Ask a complete stranger for a $100 bill. How many of you think that you would reject somebody if they asked you for a $100 bill? So he goes up to a security guard. He didn't really know the guy, and he he asked the guy for a hundred dollar bill. He said, "Hey, can you give me a hundred dollars?" He was horrified to do this. By the way, he's shaking in the first video, and the guy said, "No," and then he ran away. <laughs> and so the next day, he he uh, the next day. This was a funny one. He actually went into. Um, a, a burger place, and he, he had eaten lunch there, and he he goes up, and he goes to the front counter, and he says, hey, um, can I get a burger refill? He said, what? He goes, can I get a refill on my burgers? You got me a refill on my soda. Can I get a refill on the burgers? And they're like, we don't do that. He's like, well, I really like this place, and I think I'd like it more if you did burger refills. And they said, we're not going to do that. Okay. Well, he fulfilled it, though, and he's posting these and posting these. One day he goes into Krispy Kreme donuts and says, can I get Olympic donuts? I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I want Olympic donuts like, I want them to interconnect rings just like the Olympics. And they did it. And they gave them to him for free. It took them 20 minutes to figure out how to do it, and they gave it to him for free. And here's what he found out was that as he was getting rejected over and over again, he would sometimes get yeses. And so sometime, one, one time he asked a police officer, can I drive your car around a little bit? <laughs> he said yes. <laughs> and he said, you know, I, what I learned is, uh, so there's so much to the phrase, you have not that because you ask not. There's also so much to be learned about when, when people say no, sometimes you can learn so much about their No. Sometimes they can tell you so much about, they'll they'll tell you, here's why I'm saying no, and you can learn more about that situation so that you can leverage that in your next ask. So, So it was a really amazing thing, but here's the biggest thing that he found out was that rejection is not actually what you think. Rejection is not failure. Rejection is an opportunity. Rejection is an opportunity. So So what he really, uh, I think, you know, we we learn this when we actually look at the lives of people who have accomplished great things. Who here knows that, that Walt Disney was once fired from the Kansas Star for lacking imagination? He was rejected. You know, Steve Jobs was fired by Apple before he returned and made it the company it is today. Who knows that Oprah was once fired early in her career for showing too much emotion? And yet I think uh, emotion has served Oprah pretty well over the years. See, the way that we process rejection has everything to do with how we experience our future. How we process rejection has everything to do with how we experience our future. And we can process rejection a couple ways. So I want to give three ways that we might process rejection. The first way is this, retaliation. Sometimes we decide we want to get back at people because we feel rejected. Now, this can, this can sometimes, I, there was a guy who recently wrote a self-help book. Um, I can't remember the title. It was something like Get Back At Them. And it was, a, it was based upon this idea that, you know, when you feel rejection, just do everything in your life focused on getting back at that person who rejected you. I don't think that's the, the, the most Christ-like way to view rejection, but that's one way that people do it. Now, this can have dangerous results, though. You know, a lot of the times when we see uh, these things like mass shootings in, in our own nation and other nations, what, what we usually have at the root of that is somebody who's felt deep, deep rejection, deep, deep rejection that they've never dealt with and they don't have any coping mechanisms for it. And so what they do is they lash out in, in, in all sorts of violent, horrible ways. And it's because that root of rejection was so deep in them, they didn't know what to do with it. And so it became a retaliatory thing. So that's one way people cope. And one one way that they process rejection. Here's the second way, and this is what a lot of us do: is we retreat. We retreat. We say, I don't want to feel that anymore. I don't want to feel rejection anymore. I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to talk anymore because every time I open my mouth, people laugh at me. I'm not going to try again because every time I try, I fail. So I'm not going to I'm not going to keep trying. So you just retreat, and then you you just hide inside this false construct of who you think you really are, but that's not what God says about us. Now, God wants us to do something different to cope with this thing called rejection. And the third one is the one I think we should be going for. This is the Jesus one. It's redemption. We can redeem our rejection. We can redeem our rejection. We can take our rejection, we can give it to God and say, God, tell me what to do with this. I give this up as an offering to you because I want to see what you can build on this thing. Jesus was the rejected cornerstone, and on that stone you built the church. What can you build on my disregarded rejection? What can you build on the rejection that has crippled me? You can redeem your rejection. There's a story in the Old Testament that I think is really, really powerful if you take it in context. It's it's one of the greatest stories of rejection that there ever was. So in, in in, in the book of Genesis... The three most important guys are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? Those are the patriarchs of the Hebrew people. Now, the story of Jacob could be a telenovela. It is crazy. And, and let me just explain the story of Jacob real quick um, and, and, and tell you about the, one of the most heartbreaking stories of rejection that we encounter in the Bible. And really, I'm not even interested in the story of the, in Jacob's part in that story. I want to talk about this, this um, girl named Leah. Because this is the story that I think is really powerful and we can learn a lot from. So, so Leah, let me go back to, to Jacob. So Jacob um, is working for this guy named Laban. Laban has two daughters. He's got a daughter named Rachel and he's got a daughter named Leah. Now, Jacob falls in love with Rachel. He really wants to marry this girl, Rachel. And so he asked Laban, can I marry your daughter? And he said, sure. Work for me for seven years, and then you can marry my daughter. So he does. And it's the wedding day, and he sees his beautiful bride with a veil over her face. They get married, and guess what he finds out after they do the I do's? He takes off the veil, and guess who it is? It's Leah. Not Rachel. He worked seven years to marry Rachel. He goes back to Laban and says, What have you done? And he goes, Well, work another seven years and you can have Rachel. Wow. And he does. He marries both of them. But Rachel was his true love. Rachel was the one he actually wanted to marry. He does marry them both and has children with both of them. Now, when I was younger, I always thought, poor Jacob poor Jacob, he worked so hard to get that girl, and then he gets this girl. And now that I've grown up a little bit, I think, no, poor Leah. Poor Leah, she was rejected by the man that she had to call her husband and live in a marriage relationship with him for the rest of her life, knowing that she was not the chosen one, knowing that she was not the one he really loved. Isn't that a heartbreaking existence? Isn't that a heartbreaking way to go through your life knowing you're not the one that's loved? But you know, somebody did love Leah. It was God. And you know how we can see this in an amazing way in the New Testament. You know those parts of the Scripture that are just the begats? It's those those long lists of things that are like, this person begat, this person begat, this. Who skips over those when you read the Bible? Don't always skip over the begats because sometimes there's powerful things in them. And let me explain what I'm talking about. If we go to Matthew, the very beginning of Matthew is this long list of begats. Now, it starts like this. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham Abraham was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. Now, I'm going to stop there. Here's the exciting thing. This blew my mind when I encountered this. Who is Judah's mom? So Jacob's Judah's dad. Judah's mom is Leah, not Rachel. The rejected one was the one that gave birth to the lineage of our Savior Jesus, the one who felt left behind the one that felt rejected and unloved that was the one god chose to give birth to the lineage of jesus christ because rejection is the birthplace of rege- redemption sometimes rejection is the birthplace of redemption you know uh, bob goff who is a really amazing speaker says this this sometimes he says you know the better chapter titles come later the better chapter titles come later. Because a lot of times, no matter where you are, may, maybe you're in this place in your life where you're feeling rejected or you're in retreat and you're, you're just hiding out because you, you don't want to get hurt, hurt anymore. And maybe if you were going to put a chapter title on your life today, it would be failure. This chapter was failure. But Bob Goff says, no, no, no. You don't know what the end of the, ch- the book looks like. And maybe you'd give it a different name later. Maybe if Leah knew... That the child that she would birth would be of the lineage from our, that our Savior would come out of. She would know, oh wait, my rejection was the birthplace of redemption. So that chapter would have a different title if she knew the end, wouldn't she? And remember this. I'm going to invite the band back up to the stage. We're getting ready to, to celebrate Easter in a couple weeks here. We love to celebrate the fact that Jesus came. He died for us so that we could know him, so we could be saved by him. And he rose again on that third day. But here's something we don't always think about. We would not have the resurrection if Jesus had not embraced rejection. We would not have our salvation if Jesus wouldn't say, I'm going to embrace the rejection of all mankind. It even says in Isaiah, he was despised and rejected by mankind because rejection is the birthplace of redemption. So I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you to think about a place of rejection in your life right now. A place that you've just written off as, I'm not going to go go there again. I'm not going to let myself be vulnerable in that way again because all it means is pain. And I want you to just, we'll just take a minute, and I just want to pray in a moment. I want you to just think about offering that to God and say, God, redeem my rejection. Redeem this area of my life that I've just put off as a failure, as a rejection, as something that can't be used. And say, God, please use this area of rejection in my life as a cornerstone to build my destiny on. I want you to build who you want me to be from this place of hurt. So let's go to God together. And and while I'm praying, feel free to just take this moment to pray your own prayer to God, to offer your own area of hurt, your own area of rejection up. Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that even in those areas of deep hurt, deep rejection, you find redemption. That you can build off a foundation of rejection. Your amazing redemption and your amazing salvation for our lives. And Lord God, if there is anyone in this place who has not encountered you on a deeply personal level, they haven't been able to say yes to you and say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to know that amazing kind of love that that somebody would actually say, I'll give up my life so that others can have life. I will be rejected so that others can be accepted. I pray, Lord God, that you would be working on hearts right now to to invite you in. Lord God, I also pray that you would make us a people who do not reject others. That you would make us a people who invite others in and say, this is too good to miss out on. This is too good to miss out on. Come on in, because you have a Savior that loves you and a family that needs you. So in this moment, Lord God, I just pray that your Spirit would come. Transform us, Lord God. And as we enter into your worship once more, Lord, continue on in singing praises to you, Lord God. I pray that you will work on our hearts even then. Draw us in right now. Our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.